This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk with Melissa Palmer about how she kicked her cloud skepticism to the curb once she discovered the joy that is Azure VMware solution on Azure NetApp Files. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have a special guest to talk to us all about the cloud and what they like about it and what they don't like about it. In IT, we're raised on skepticism and there's an entire security philosophy centered around distrust, right? So <laughs> so when you start talking about managed services and what we like in the cloud and what we see in the cloud, you start to run into a lot of IT admins that simply do not like it. And, and I've invited one of them, of course. So <laughs> Melissa Palmer is here. I to can't talk stop about that. laughing. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's been a while. It has uh, been a while. Justin, it's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So, yeah, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself if they're not familiar with you. And, you yeah, know, you sure. And Hi, everybody. My name is Melissa Palmer. You might also know me as Vemus or Vemus33 on the Twitters. I worked with Justin and the fabulous NetApp crew for a number of years in a couple different roles. Then I went to Veeam Software for a little while, which does actually have some cloudy things to it when we're talking backup. That could probably be a whole different episode. But right now, I focus on creating content and ransomware resiliency I do a lot of. And I'm a principal architect at end-to-end -end enterprise architecture, and we're an all-VMware certified design expert enterprise architecture firm. Awesome. So you work with virtualization. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, right? And traditionally, that has been all on-prem, but more and more, mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and enterprises are looking towards the cloud and that they're starting to look at moving their VMs into the cloud. And we'll talk more about why that might be good and bad. But first, let's talk about why you are a cloud uh, skeptic. I've been a cloud skeptic for basically ever, if anybody knows me out there. I was just never a fan in general. I've always dealt with customers and helping them design some sort of solution, whether it be an architecture solution, a storage solution, a backup solution. And I've seen a lot of people end up in really bad positions because they actually went to the cloud and thought it was magic and didn't pay attention to anything. When the cloud was getting started, I don't know if you remember this, Justin, because we've been around a while. We've known each other a long time. Hey, what you talking about? Get off my front lawn. Back in um, my day, we didn't have no cloud. We didn't have no cloud. But the thing was, hey, AWS is great. Just take out your credit card and go, and you can bypass all those annoying corporate IT people and have your app up and running in a couple hours. That has all sorts of problems from data protection problems to security problems. And I could go on and on again. And I saw the cloud hype cycle go very quickly from a buzzword almost by Gartner to everybody jumping on this cloud bandwagon. A lot of people not taking the time to do proper planning, design, and architecture up front. Because really, at the end of the day, the cloud is just someone else's data center, right? I hate to break everybody's heart, but it's not magic. It's someone else's data center, which gets you out of the data center game, but you still need to plan your deployments and your migrations and all that stuff. And I just saw so many people not do that because the cloud was so hot, the cloud was so popular. And I saw a lot of organizations get in a lot of trouble, quite honestly. That whole people spin up their own cloud instances is, is what we know as shadow IT. Uh -huh. 
wrong. Don't do it. <laughs> right. And that's one of the problems. And you mentioned the planning and, and that sort of thing. It's, there's also a cost analysis that comes into oh, it. We, oh, I don't even want to talk about that. I actually have not gotten a surprise cloud bill myself personally, because I always had jobs where my bosses paid my cloud bill. <laughs> but that's like a thing, right? It's really easy to just start deploying stuff and not quite realize what you're doing or forget about something and leave it running or what have you. And you hear a lot of horror stories about that surprise cloud bill, or you've been in the cloud for a while, your application's doing good. You think you have a handle on things. Oh no, we need to scale up, scale up, scale up. You go and you do, and you're not thinking of the dollars and the cents up front. And you get that next bill and you're like, wow, this was way more than I thought it was going to be. And now I'm in trouble. You also mentioned security, and that is a massive concern, especially for our skeptical IT guys, right? Because they are no longer in control of the infrastructure. Now the cloud providers are. So you are basically putting all your trust into these cloud providers that they know what they're doing with the security. So is, does that kind of play into your skepticism as well? Um, It does. I do do a lot of security, but I don't know. When it comes to security, I'm a skeptic in everywhere. I think we had some ransomware attacks on the news recently of like very large organizations and such. <laughs> Anybody's vulnerable. And if you think that... uh cloud provider is any less vulnerable than anyone else, I think you're out of your mind. There's stuff that can happen. And yeah, you do lose an element of control. But even from not just the security level of control, I go into the cloud now and consuming things as services, right? So I'm picking from a menu of what type of instance or VM I want. I'm using this database service, blah, blah, blah. So I'm picking all these building blocks, but what happens if the building blocks don't fit? Then you find yourself designing around things that you might actually have as a requirement to fit into the cloud. It can be rigid and it can be flexible, right? But yeah, back to kind of the security thing. I mean, I don't think anybody is secure, basically. Yeah. And I was going to talk about that as well. I, I think that you can be skeptical because somebody else is managing it, but let's be honest. IT are you going to do any better? Very, Come on, my friend. IT admins are very busy, right? And security updates are hard. Doing the proper security checks and encryption is hard. It's a roadblock in a lot of cases. There's a lot of infrastructure and moving parts involved. So you can either spend all your time trying to secure an environment, or you can let somebody who's already done it and already has it and as a service package to do it for you. Absolutely. You totally could. Or you could have a third party come in and do all your stuff on site in the cloud. Penetration testing is something I've been talking about a lot lately. And guess what? You should have your on-prem environment penetration tested by a third party firm. And you should have your cloud environment penetration tested by a third party firm. Or some other third party firm is going to come and do it for free. Well, it's not going to be free because then they're going to ask you for a ransom afterwards, right? Yeah, that happened Uh, recently in Las Vegas, right? I mean, with the MGM. (laughs) That story I find completely interesting. It was just, wow, that's a big one. And every once in a while, we have a big one. And I said this on Twitter and I felt silly saying it. Like it made the normal people news, right? Like normal people knew that MGM got hit by a ransomware attack. There's attacks every day that never make the normal people news. It's happening all around us and nothing is really going to stop it. Either if when you're on-prem or in the cloud, the best you could do is try to reduce your attack surface as much as you can, mitigate whatever you can, but that's kind of what happens in today's climate, unfortunately. Yeah, and in this case, we put it into a cloud context. So the actual root cause of this had nothing to do with being in the cloud or on-prem. It had no, to do with social... There was no winner in this one. It's it not like, oh, the cloud right? No, it was... It's like, it hey, was... change my password, please. <laughs> okay. And that's a thing, right? Social engineering and buying credentials on the black market and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's trouble. 
Definitely. So we talked about why you might be a cloud skeptic. Now let's talk about what has started you to see the light. The cloud. So let's talk about that. What made me see the light? So everybody's going to laugh when I say this because it's like cloudy, but not cloudy. But I would say VMware made me see the light and starting to dive deeper into some of the VMware cloud solutions. Now I had dabbled in VMware cloud for a long time, but I hadn't really gotten nitty gritty into things until more recent months. And as I started to do that, I started to see some problems solved, especially from an operational side. If you know VMware, you can use a VMware cloud solution. And funnily enough, I came across something with Azure VMware solution and NetApp files. And I looked at it and I went, oh my Oh my goodness, this is everything I've ever loved about VMware. Because the whole reason I ended up working for NetApp is I ran a very large VMware environment. At the time, it was one of the top five biggest in the world. Half my storage for my VMware environment was backed by LUNs of a company that no longer exists. (laughs) I still love saying that. I know it's so bad. (laughs) I can't help it. I guess they too kind of still exist. And the other half was NetApp NFS. And from an operational perspective, I loved working with the NetApp NFS storage. It was amazing. I had two outages my whole time with NetApp. One was because somebody put in a ticket for a new NetApp to get it cabled. And somebody walked up to the production NetApp and unplugged the 10 gig connections, which made it go down, right? Because network attached storage kind of needs to have a network attached. And the other thing is, I don't even know if this still exists, but do you remember V-Series, Justin, where you used to be able to put other storage yeah, controllers yeah, like behind the front that end. app? Yeah, the front end. Yeah. But, yeah, so another outage I had was that, which was a block-based storage array on the other end, and that array hit some kind of bug from its vendor and just was not functioning correctly. Um, other than that, the NetApp stuff was a dream, which is kind of how I got to NetApp. And I'm looking at Azure VMware solution, because that's one I've really been spending a lot of time on. And I'm looking at Azure NetApp files and I'm just kind of going, ah, this is everything I love about on-prem with all of the benefits. And I'm making some air quotes here because there are some benefits to the cloud with all the benefits to the cloud, right? Because I don't have to worry about equipment anymore. I don't have to worry about racking, stacking, heating, cooling, blah, 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 any of that data center level stuff, right? I can just go get my VMware hosts and my NetApp as a service. And that has benefits. It really does. That just streamlines everything. It gets me out of the data center game, which is essentially a real estate game for many organizations. And it really speeds up my time to deployment. I'm not beholden anymore by how long does it take to get a new array on site or how long is this equipment going to take to show up? I go, I deploy it. I need more. I go get more. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And it's interesting with VMware because they were the revolutionaries of the data center itself, right? We took hardware infrastructure and converted it into a software stack. Then, <laughs> right? I mean, like in, in, in that software stack, they are showing can live anywhere, whether it's your hardware or, like you said, someone else's hardware in an as-a-service model. Funniest story about that. The, my first week at NetApp, somebody was trying to explain cluster mode to me. And I don't even know what we call things today. It was cluster mode and clustered on tap. And now I think it's just on tap, right? At this point, it's been, mm-hmm. it's just on tap. But I think I was at NetApp, what, like a good 10 years ago? So it was a while. Someone's trying to explain cluster on tap to me and I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, so this is like VMware for storage, right? And they're like, yeah, now that you say that, this is like exactly what it kind of is. It kind of is. They're little uh, storage virtual machines is what they call exactly, them, Exactly, right? literally. But that gets all kind of 
masked when you start to talk about the as a service models because now you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore i mean it was easy it was pretty easy to manage quite honestly but now i don't even have to worry about that i don't have to worry about anything anymore no you just basically say i want a data store and then you're done (laughs) boom have a nice day as soon as you finish saying the words i want a data store it's there do I have to like wiggle my nose or like cross my arms and blink and <laughs> you nod, have to nod or anything yeah, like that? The, the, I dream of genie. <laughs> I, I totally will. Of, I dream of VMs. <laughs> I'll do it. So yeah, the Azure VMware solution is running on top of an Azure NetApp files, which is basically a, a backend of NetApp, of course. <laughs> um, it, but what we do is we take that front end and we make it simple to consume and easy to use because as an admin or as a consultant or as an anything really. You don't want to have to worry about all of that manageability portion of that. I don't think anybody wants to worry about that. These well, days. Some people Everybody's do. got enough on their plate. Like the Uber nerds. <laughs> the Uber nerds. I want it to be easy. Like, I just want to be able to go in and do what I have to do and be done with it. And there's something to be said for the easy button. Not that it was hard before, but now it's even easier. And like I said, I can get it whenever I want. I go, I click a couple buttons, I have it, I'm good to go. I could be migrating workloads i could be doing a dr test i could be preparing my environment for a ransomware attack in a matter of minutes and for a lot of organizations that might not be ready for a disaster or a ransomware attack because ransomware is just another type of disaster that could be the difference between having a way to recover someplace else very quickly and going out of business quite honestly yeah absolutely and the good thing about the cloud and the managed service pieces is that you're also not worrying about the security updates. You're not worrying about the networking. That's all taken care of on the back end for you. So your stuff's all up to date. You're not trying to fill patches and holes all the time, right? Do you, you guys... still need to patch your VMs though, my friends? Well, just... yeah, patch your VMs. But I mean, those are patch in your, your VMs, control, please. right? But the, the right. back end, the infrastructure piece. The oh, you don't have to worry about patching NetApp or VMware though. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which, is, which is nice. Yep. So when you talked about migrating VMs and, and that sort of thing, wh- how, what is your approach to that? Like, how do you go from an, an on-prem infrastructure to the cloud? You know, it depends on the use case, right? And I've seen a lot of different use cases for VMware Cloud. My favorite, personally, is ransomware readiness. So I have a small environment always running in my favorite VMware Cloud solution. We're talking about Azure today, but there are couple others. I have a couple VMware hosts running, maybe enough to start recovering critical workloads. Something bad happens. I go in and I just scale the cluster, right? Because it's a matter of less than an hour to add more nodes, pretty much. I go in, I get more nodes if I need it, and I start recovering my workloads. And I'm good to go. And I can test this on a regular basis uh, in an automated fashion using any number of tools. There's a lot of different tools out there that will help you with this kind of stuff. And it just becomes simple. So I absolutely love the DR and ransomware recovery use case. And that's something I've been talking about for years and years. But the fact of the matter is data center evacuation is also a major use case, especially for those workloads that are very predictable, very stable. Like I said, it's almost like the data center industry is like a a real estate game now, right? Do I really want to maintain this piece of real estate and this building and all these facilities? A lot of organizations have just been getting out of that. And a quick and easy way to do that is going from VMware to VMware because it looks, feels, and smells exactly the same way. So it's super simple to say, oh, I'm running VMware on-prem. Now I'm going to go run it in the cloud and I'm going to be able to close that data center or get out of that colo or whatever. So what do you seeing as some of the biggest reasons why somebody would move their virtualization infrastructure to the cloud. I've been around virtualization for a long time. 
And when a new technology is out, not that the cloud or VMC is new, but chances are if an organization isn't there yet, it's probably because they're full of skeptics like me. The most common things I see are DR or dev test workloads going first. I like the DR use case personally, because I think you should be ready for ransomware. And we just talked about patching our VMs, right? So if I do a DR test and I have a copy of my environment running, guess what I can do? I can go test my patches and make sure it's not going to break anything. And then I can actually patch my on-prem VMs and maybe not have as many vulnerabilities in my environment. That's always a good way to go. So I like the DR use case. And like I said, dev test, people have to trust it. People have to get comfortable with it. And sometimes the easiest way to do that is to put the less important stuff there. Okay, let me spin up the new development environment and VMware Cloud, get used to it. Not that there's that much to get used to, but it's still a little itty bitty bit of a learning curve because now you've got a new interface for deploying the infrastructure really only, right? Because if I need to manage a VM, I'm doing everything the same way. I'm still using vCenter, but it's got that deployment layer where if I need to learn how to go request a data store and I need to learn how to request a new vSphere cluster or scale a vSphere cluster. Yes, that's a new interface compared to just doing everything in vCenter. So there's this very, very slight upskill that's needed. So it's worth it to start with some more comfy workloads to get used to that. And then you can start saying, oh, maybe I'll start moving my net new workloads or maybe I'll migrate stuff, or maybe I'll just let the data center age out for a while. And as new applications come online, go to the cloud and kill the old stuff. I get, there's a lot of different ways I see people doing based on what's going on in their organization. One of the things that DR could protect you against is your, your favorite thing, right? <laughs> The ransomwares. The ransomwares, right? So if you have a I ransomware attack. I feel weird attack, saying that's like my favorite the thing. Ransomwares. It is your favorite thing. I know it is. Mm. But if you have a ransomware attack and you've got a DR solution in the cloud, then you don't pay the ransom. You fail over to your DR solution and then exactly, right? replicate back and recover Whether... and then laugh at the ransomware attackers. Laugh in the face of ransomware. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And I think that's a lot of things that people don't test. And especially with the rise in VMware ransomware, if we look at the MGM the threat actor group was kind enough to come out and say how they did everything. And they did mention, hey, we, we got about 100 ESXi hosts while we were at it, because why not? Um, <laughs> because we could. Why not? Because they could, right? Because these threat actors have instructions on how to do all this stuff. And it, it's really not that hard if they can get in and get the right credentials. So I think it's important for everybody who has a VMware environment to take steps to mitigate the risks of ransomware for their on-prem infrastructure. Make sure you're following the security configuration guide. Make sure you're patching your VMware infrastructure because that's the tricky part with a lot of IT people. There's this notion of, well, it's not broke, don't fix it. And ESXi, vCenter, that's a critical part of your infrastructure. So if it's working okay, why would I do anything? Why would I take the risk of patching it? Well, the risk is bigger if the threat actors get in there. But I think a lot of people have that notion of, well, if nothing's wrong, I don't have to do anything. And that's not a good thing. And if you do find yourself where, oh no, everything's broken and I need a new vSphere environment. Well, you know what? VMware Cloud will have you up and running in no time. So, so tell me about your VMware Cloud experience. When did you discover it and when did you start really getting into it? Oh, geez. Let's say. So I was always VMware Cloud curious. Let's put it that way. And I did do a little bit of work talking about this at Veeam when I would talk about recovering and all that stuff. And hey, just go to VMware Cloud Solution. And I've been saying like, hey, everybody should just go to VMware Cloud Solution, go to VMware Cloud Solution. But really, it's only in the last few months or so when I really started working end to end. And we do have a big focus on VMware Cloud Solutions that I really started diving in. 
And that was really nice because I hadn't had that much hands-on experience with it before. Sort of really get in there, get nitty gritty and say, yeah, this is everything that I've always thought it would be. And now I can actually help customers with these solutions and get them ready for things like a ransomware attack or even just a data center evacuation, data center migration, whatever they need. That's when I really started getting into it. And it made me stop hating the cloud so much. But I feel like that's a total cop-out because it's still VMware. (laughs) VMware and NetApp, which is I spent most of my career working with, are what made me love the cloud finally. But that's the thing. So it's like, okay, I'm saying I hate the cloud. And I do, but now I love this. And I don't think you're still going to get me deploying random instances or VM instances or whatever. But can I tell you my funny story that I like to tell people about picking a favorite cloud? You may. Because I love telling the story. Okay. So... I was doing a lot with some cloud products at Veeam and everybody's got their own terminology. So with AWS, it's an instance. With Azure, it's a VM. And with Google, it's a VM instance. And when you're talking to people about a backup product for one cloud, if you don't get those terms exactly right, people like to be like, excuse me, ma'am. You're talking about AWS, but you just said VM and there's no such thing as a VM in AWS. It's an instance. So stuff like that would really just kind of rev me up because people are so like, I love AWS. I love Azure. I love GCP. And let's just stick with the big three. And I would like to tell you how I pick my favorite cloud. Okay. So I don't know if you know this, Justin, but I'm really big into space and rockets and stuff like that. I do know this, but continue. Yeah. So I have a favorite space company. It is SpaceX for whatever reason, come at me, don't come at me, whatever. But AWS has their founder. I have nothing bad to say about them, but I feel like his space company is not as advanced as SpaceX. So I'm not really a fan of that. So for that reason, I don't like AWS. And then we've got Azure and they don't even have rockets, I don't think. So I don't like Azure either. So my favorite cloud company is definitely Google because they were actually a very early investor in SpaceX. So that's why Google Cloud's my favorite. That's like next Which level makes petty. no sense. That's next like, level exactly, petty. exactly. Which is why like having your fa- a favorite cloud or being like a cloud purist or whatever cloud is kind of petty. Really at the end of the day, it's what cloud fits my business requirements and solve my problems. And it could be any list of business requirements. And one of them might be that your staff has to have the skill to use the cloud. And guess what? All of our staff knows AWS and no one knows Azure. So that might be a reason that we deploy an AWS versus Azure, right? There's all these things that go into making a decision about what cloud platform should I use or should I use multiple cloud platforms or whatever. Um, Just like for the last decade in cloud, people just being absolute like, oh, this is my favorite cloud and every other cloud is garbage. And it made me like the cloud even less. I'm like, really? We're going to have petty discussions because I said, I was talking to AWS and I said VM, like, really? We're going to go there? Well, this isn't new, right? This has always been something that's happened in IT, regardless (laughs) if it's cloud or on-prem or not. I mean, you think about the Mac PC debates, Linux versus Windows. Nerds are very picky about what they like, right? It is silly, kind of annoying. It's just next level annoying because I was already annoyed by the cloud and then I got into this and it was like, really? Use what's going to work for you, what solves your business requirements and gives you a competitive advantage. I do think that, A lot of people don't necessarily think of the human factor or ease of use or the people that actually have to do the cloud ops. And we want to make their jobs as easy as possible because we want them doing cool stuff in the cloud, not just trying to fix stuff that's broken. And that goes back to IT for however long. Let's try to 
do what we can to make operations easier so we can get back to innovation that actually makes our organization money versus just fighting fires all day. Now, I know that Azure doesn't have a space program. Yeah. <laughs> Which, wh- whatever you think about that, you know, is he- neither here There's or no there. Microsoft space program. I'm very, right. very traumatized they, over Azure. I know. But they do have the Azure VMware solution which, again, is running on Azure NetApp Files. Let's dive into that a little more. Tell me what you found appealing and compelling about running Azure VMware solutions on top of a a product like Azure NetApp Files. Because it's everything I've ever loved about the data center, but I don't have to deal with the data center and I don't have to go actually press the buttons on the servers. Or I got another funny story. We were very big on HP Blades at one organization I worked at. And I had to go switch a blade or something. And my boss is with me. He's like, be careful. It's heavy. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. I pull the blade out and just clunks right to the floor because it really was that heavy. I was just like, sorry about that, but this one didn't work anyway. That's why I was taking it out. (laughs) You don't (laughs) have to do stuff like that. No, you don't have to drop servers on the floor in the classroom. So, so what, what about the NFS piece of yeah, using so, the data store stuff? Tell me about that. Uh, I've always been a fan of NFS just because it, it's simple. It's easy. I carve up my NFS data store. I can grow and shrink that data store however I want. And I've always had all these cool things like volume auto grow was probably like my favorite feature ever because I would turn that puppy on. And of course, I would have an alert come when it kicked off. But silly things like, oh, the LUN is too full and now we can't power on a VM because there's literally not enough space to even create a new swap file. I've been in that situation a lot of times with block-based storage in a VMware environment because someone wasn't paying attention, just filled the thing up as much as it could go. That was one of my favorite NetApp features back in the day, Volume Autogo. It's just simple to use. And the great thing is with Azure VMware solution is scalability. It's a really easy to use scale unit. So if I need a data store for XYZ application, I can just get a data store for XYZ application. All the VMware solutions have vSAN baked in too. But if I've got a really high storage requirement, it would be silly for me to go buy five more nodes just to meet my storage requirement when I can just deploy a data store and have more storage on demand. So I feel like it just adds another layer of flexibility to the Azure VMware solution. Yeah, and that's that scalability, the ability to grow and shrink a data store as needed is really important to a lot of virtualization It's like the best thing ever. Yeah, it I really mean, is. It's really annoying when you can't do simple things like grow or shrink. Exactly. It's problematic when you can't do things like that. At least in my view, it has been. Another aspect of Azure NetApp files is the snapshotting and the replication. And uh, yes, if like you're the two most with... magical features of NetApp ever, basically. And let's talk about why that is, because if you're familiar with a virtualization environment like VMware, and you've dealt with VMware snapshots, there is a vast difference in how those work versus how a NetApp snapshot yes. works. So oh, you're going to be so excited. It's one of my favorite topics. This is funny. So we're going to have to go back to our rocking chairs on the porch, Justin, because this was really a long time ago where I ended up having to do a data center migration. And I did it all with NetApp replication, NetApp snap mirror. The whole thing was just P to V the VMs, throw them on the NetApp, replicate them to the other data center, bring them online in the other place. I did this for months and months and months. It worked flawlessly. It was amazing, which was my first introduction to NetApp replication and snapshots. But the beautiful part about NetApp snapshots is they're literally instant. You snap your fingers and the snap is done. It's probably milliseconds. I don't remember the statistic off the top of my head about how long it takes, but it's really, really fast compared to VMware snapshots, which take a little while and can introduce some performance issues if you have them open for a long period of time. One thing we've talked about is 
we're still responsible for our VMs, especially in the cloud. So you still need to be backing them up. And there are so many backup products out there that will integrate with NetApp snapshots and make the VMware backups go so much faster and keep that VMware snapshot open for a much, much shorter period of time. So you're not taking the performance hit of, I want to get rid of my snapshot, but now I have to keep processing my VMs IO, but also do all the writes that were in the snapshot. So it's just like magic. I don't know what else to call it. And that's not the only part of that's better. It's also the efficiency of space because those VMware snapshots can get huge. Oh yeah. They can get pretty large. <laughs> oh, I got stories about those too. I'm going to get back on my rocking chair. I got stories about big, big VMware snapshots being left open for months and months and months on a lot of VMs. And then some genius who was not me trying to, well, I got to fix this all at one time. And the storage array, just like, it wasn't a NetApp. It was something else that no longer exists. Well, I mean, uh, regardless of what the storage array over, is. It's like any, I think any storage array probably would have choked on trying to resolve all those snapshots at the same time. I got to say this, because maybe I sound a little young here. This was when there weren't SSDs. There were spinning disks still. SSD, I don't know, probably would have handled it a little better. But no, these were like spinning disks, like back in the day. Let's talk about how all these snapshots in VMware works. If you take a VMware snapshot, like what I do is I take a base snapshot of a VM sometimes when I'm spinning up a new VM. And inevitably, you forget about that snapshot. Oh, yeah. And then a year passes, and all mm -hmm. those writes and changes to mm -hmm. that VM yep, yep. are stored in this one yep. snapshot. <laughs> yeah, and you got to write that back in. It's like two terabytes you're of, done. of space. Your VM's maybe a gig. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. So NetApp snapshots don't do that. It's it's all block oh, no, no, base no. pointers and Porter you know they, they can grow, but not. It's just nearly. a delta. Exactly. Yeah. And then the replication piece, of course, you have your replication from site to site, region to region. So if you've got a region that goes down, because sometimes it happens in clouds, right? A region can. Go it down. happens anywhere. So that's a, another great thing to bring up, Justin. All the VMware cloud solutions. If I'm using AVS, there's different regions I can deploy my VMware host in, and I might be doing this just because DR purposes, or I might have like compliance regulations where no, this data needs to be in this location, and that's how it has to go. So that's another thing that a lot of people skip going to the cloud. It hasn't happened in a while, but it's like every time US East One goes down on AWS, the whole world gr grinds to a screeching halt because it's the default region in AWS and everybody just throws all their stuff there and they think the cloud is magic. So if that goes down, nothing works. That's basically it. It's a single point of failure. Yeah, but it kind of comes, it kind of came with some of the, oh, the cloud is magic. I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. You do. You absolutely do. Yeah, you do. You have to have contingency plans. It's going to cost a little bit of money, but you have to weigh the cost of what it's going to be to actually take care of it versus letting it happen. Exactly. So in your consulting arena, when somebody mm -hmm. asks you, Melissa, what do you think about me going to the cloud? Yeah, I know what your old answer is, but tell me the new answer. Uh, okay. So I would never, just so we're clear on this, I would never just tell a client of mine blindly, don't use the cloud. It's evil. Well, um, you'd be a bad consultant, but you probably have different enthusiasm and vigor. <laughs> I, I definitely have different enthusiasm and vigor for VMware Cloud on Azure than I do for just going natively to the cloud and having to deal with all that stuff. And a lot of it's going to depend on things like business requirements and timelines and all that kind of stuff. Because if you're saying, I need to get all of my stuff out of my data center very, very quickly someplace else. And it's all on VMware today. The fastest thing you could do is go to a VMware cloud solution. If you're going to say, well, I want to re-architect all my applications for cloud native reasons, then you would go a different direction probably. 
But then the, usually it's a little bit of deeper dive. Well, what you're saying you want to do this, but why do you want to do it? And I've seen like some weird stuff where it's like, oh, we have to be out of the data center and into the cloud by the end of the year because the CIO doesn't get us bonus if we're not. I've seen weird stuff like that. No joke. People are like, we have no time because we need to do this. And if he's not going to get his bonus and that's going to be a problem. So any kind of discussion of, am I doing on-prem? Am I doing public cloud? Cloud native? Am I doing VMware cloud solution? It always comes back to the business requirements and what's driving the decision at the end of the day. The uh, CEO getting his bonus sounds like the absolute worst reason to go. I've, I've heard that probably a good handful of times, actually. Not just one off. Should never be your reason. No, like, it shouldn't. That might be the motivation for getting it done by a certain time, but that should not be your reason. No, that's not, that's not a good, that's not a sound business decision. <laughs> what is your motivation as an admin, like for your CIO to get their bonus? What about you? Like, yeah, my CIO needs his bonus. Okay. Well, what's in it for you? <laughs> I, I guess keeping your job. <laughs> yeah, right. You have a job. Congratulations. But like, I, I've heard a lot of weird stuff or, you know, sometimes people haven't really taken the time to sit and decide why am I doing this? What is the outcome I'm expecting? How am I going to measure success? All that kind of stuff up front. I saw over the last decade, a lot of just rush, rush, rush cloud again, because it was a new hot thing in town. And I've seen a lot of people get in a lot of trouble because they didn't do proper planning. And now we're seeing things go the other direction a little bit where we're seeing people have workloads in the cloud and they're going, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And they're actually bringing workloads out of the cloud, whether it be to their data center back on-prem, infrastructure as a service, to a co-located facility. Some people are starting to look at the, the dollars and cents of all this and going, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing it this way. They saw the reality, right? They saw it wasn't everything that they were promised, but there is actually value there. It is good for specific workloads and use cases. Maybe it's not great for sticking everything up there, but it is great for sticking things that oh, yeah, you might absolutely. use like a VMware solution, right? Like having it up there for your remote users that maybe haven't come back into the office yet and they need access to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good use case. And there's all sorts of crazy stuff you could do in VMware cloud, like auto scaling too. So we still have that flexibility that some of the cloud stuff has promised, but it's at a much more consistent cost level too, because when you deploy in Azure, they're going to tell you how much it's going to cost every month. There's really not many surprises, right? This is how much a VMware host costs me. And I know that up front. It's not like, oh, well, this magically happened and I had no idea. Yeah, the cloud providers have gotten a lot better about that because I think what happened was they were getting into situations where people were getting charged a lot of money. They were very angry because they weren't being informed properly and they had to basically not charge them that money, right? So the cloud providers are losing money because they weren't able to recoup the costs of running that infrastructure because of the lack of monitoring, the lack of upfrontness about the costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the problem. And let's be honest, cost is often a big driver in most businesses. I was just talking to someone about ransomware and just generally getting ready for it. And we were talking about that business impact analysis where you need to figure out your applications and your workloads. What are your recovery objectives and what are they driven by? Usually driven by two things, money or human life. That's about it. If this system's down, am I going to lose money and how much? Or does it impact sustaining human life? Like hospitals are big victims of ransomware attacks mm -hmm. because the threat actors figure that's a pretty safe bet that they're going to actually pay because they need to take care of humans. Yeah. It is scummy, but it is what it is. It's not very nice, no. but it's the truth. And then they go after casinos because, well, maybe they'll pay because they lose a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. And they can just print money basically at that point. Basically. 
I revised my stance a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to go all the way. It, and, the know, year sell is twenty twenty three. I have got only taken you a decade, center, so to speak. <laughs> uh, even though the cloud is someone else's data center. Well, that's the point, right? That is the whole selling point of the cloud is that it is someone else's data center, right? and it's not yours. So you don't have to deal with any of it, and that's why you like it. <laughs> exactly. All right, excellent. Well, you know, thanks so much for joining us and telling us uh, your experiences and <laughs> in your story of how you went from cloud skeptic to not as skeptical, right? Definitely not a sellout. I don't want to, I don't want to put you no, there. No, I don't think I've completely uh, lost my way here. No, but um, thank you so much for having me. It's been a while. We'll have to do this again soon. Absolutely. I'm so glad that that Azure NetApp files and the Azure VMware solutions is the thing that made I you see the light. I am a fan. Yes, it made me see the light. You, you guys can take credit for that to some extent. I, I will. And I <laughs> All right. Again, Melissa, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? Best place to find me is on Twitter at Vemus33. My name is Melissa Palmer on LinkedIn, and you can find my blog at Vemus.net. All right. Excellent. Well, again, thanks so much for joining us and talking to us all about your cloud experiences, your cloud skepticism, and why you learned to stop worrying and started loving the cloud. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Justin. Thank you. Anytime. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you'd like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Melissa Palmer for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.